0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to make today's show one of those ah, approximately once a month shows where we just try and catch up on all the material we've been sifting through for you, my dear listener. We were hoping to bring you our general manager here at KDVS, Neil Rood, to talk about uh, the good news that the Yolo County Supervisor's vote that took place last Tuesday. The basic thrust of this meeting was that there would not be a retroactive denial of the construction permit, uh, which is going to allow uh, some expansion of a tower in Yolo County that will hopefully uh, increase our broadcast signal. This is an improvement we've uh, long been looking for here at this station. The broadcast of KDVS currently comes from a uh, rather inadequate tower on the top of Kerr Hall. My understanding is that just from the simple physics of the, the uh, <laughs> diminutive height of this tower means that uh, certain areas in Sacramento get a lot of radio interference. Uh, uh, certainly a taller tower will, will help this, and we look forward to progress being made in this area. And hopefully Neil can come on next week's show and kind of explain this a little bit better than than I just did. Oh, I, I think that was clear Great. enough, wasn't it? And someone else we uh, probably aren't going to be able to bring on today's show, but hopefully will in the future, would be David Watts Barton, who is the the new interim host over at the Insight program on Capitol Public Radio. This is a duty about which I do know a thing or two. And I must say, it is a great pleasure for me to be able to offer congratulations to David for his um, taking the role that for the last seven and a half years has been uh, filled by Mr. Jeffrey Callison. Jeffrey's moving on to the Department of Corrections, not as an inmate, it turns out, just kidding, Jeffrey, but as a spokesman. We wish him well, also. Won through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there, they began to wail. The band was jumping and the joint began to swing. You should have heard his locked-out jail singing. Anyway, hopefully David will come on and talk to us about his new duties. I know he's very excited about it, and we've said in this program on more than one occasion, I think, that he does a great job, the best job of anybody I can think of, frankly, when it comes to interviewing guests in the musical and entertainment field. And also, sadly, it appears that Condoleezza Rice will not be able to make it for today's program. Chris, in this particular case, that has more to do with our this program of not bringing on war criminals and pretending that they're something other than that. I do hasten to add at this particular juncture that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the Regents of the University of California. And we're pretty sure, but not 100% positive, that Connie Rice never was a regent. And uh, lest I get myself into some trouble, let us now proceed to how we like to usually begin this program, that is to say, with On This Date in History. The date in question today is the 15th of December. It was on December 15th in 1488 that Bartholomew Diaz returned to Portugal after becoming the first European to sail around the Cape of Good Hope at the southern tip of Africa. His voyage opened the trade route to India. Of course, I do want to say that historical entry is probably incorrect in that there is compelling evidence that uh, Phoenicians, apparently in the pay of some Egyptian pharaoh, had sailed all the way around Africa a couple of millennia before that. It was on December 15th in the year 1791, following ratification by the state of Virginia, that the first ten amendments to the U.S. Constitution, known collectively as the Bill of Rights, became the law of the land. Influenced by the English Bill of Rights of 1689, the American Bill was also drawn from Virginia's Declaration of Rights drafted by George Mason back in 1776. was on this date in the year 1939, perhaps America's greatest movie year ever, that the film Gone with the Wind premiered in Atlanta. The movie was based on Margaret Mitchell's Pulitzer Prize winning novel. It was an instant hit, breaking all previous box office records and winning nine Oscars. I believe it held the record for generating the most money by any film up until I think the Star Wars era. And by the way, if you've never seen it, check it out. Still stands up pretty well. Here's one that surprises me. It was on December 15th in 1964 that Canada's House of Commons approved a new design for its national flag, featuring a big red maple leaf. I guess I'd forgotten that uh, Canada had a different flag before that. I know I somehow knew this because I visited Canada before 1964. Not to say that I don't like that big, uh, big red maple leaf. I do. Pretty cool flag. And one which I resisted sewing a patch of onto my backpack, no matter how bad international relations were, back in the 80s. That was sort of a notorious trick a lot of American backpackers used. No, I, I'm not American. I'm, I'm from Canada. And on December 19th of 1997, in the U.S., the last Minuteman II missile silo was destroyed in Diedrich, Missouri. The missiles and silos aimed at the Soviet Union were destroyed as a result of the 1995 Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty. Now, if we can just get rid of uh, almost all the rest of those missiles that we have pointing at one another, we'll all sleep a little bit more safely in our beds. All right, I quote that it comes from physicist David Bohm, who said, Intelligence requires that you don't defend an assumption. Well, we'll test that one a little bit later about this news about the Higgs boson. Or perhaps non-news would be more appropriate. Our quote of the day comes from Conan O'Brien, who said, Someone hacked into Facebook and leaked Mark Zuckerberg's private photos. When Zuckerberg realized someone had shown a blatant disregard for his privacy, he hired them. And our quote of the day comes from Craig Ferguson, who said, A lot of packages this time of year get lost. That's awful. You're promised something great. You wait and wait and wait. But nothing good ever comes. It's like voting for Obama. And our bonus joke of the day also comes from Craig Ferguson, which is as follows. Alcohol was illegal in this country from 1919 to 1933. So for 14 long years, not a single person did karaoke. Our stat of the day comes from USA Today, which is that Black Friday this year set a record for the most firearms sold in the U.S. in a single day. Americans bought at least 129,166 firearms on November 25th. 32% more than the previous one-day record. Yes, Merry Christmas! You know, and before we get too far away from that Higgs boson big story that broke this week... I do have to quote from the press release that came out on the 11th of December before the big moment where they got together with the microphones, which was as follows. According to a press release from the CERN, an update on the search for the Higgs boson by the ATLAS and CMS experiments will be presented at a seminar to be held on December 13th. The results, which will be based on the analysis of considerably more data, are believed to be sufficient to make significant progress in the search for the God particle. However, CERN has also warned that there may not be enough data to make any conclusive statement on the existence or non-existence of the Higgs. And of course, the press conference went down pretty much as advertised, which was more or less, you know, this may or may not be a momentous discovery. We're not sure, but my goodness, the mind reels at the possibilities of what we might have discovered. We would hasten to add that The Higgs boson, unlike string theory, is something which Radio Parallax is not skeptical of. And you know, before we do the good, the bad, and the ugly, being this is a catch-up show, I need to address a couple of items that have been sitting in front of me now for, I don't know, about four shows in a row we never seem to get to. These were dug out of some old copies of Harper's Magazine, which Mr. McMillan had saved, and fortuitously, rather than toss them (laughs) and give them to me to comb through for some valuable nuggets for this program... Here's a couple of them. From the readings section of Harper's, we have this. The following are titles of books published in China last year. The books were inspired by the success of Who Moved My Cheese? by Spencer Johnson, which sold 1.6 million copies in China, despite the fact that most Chinese have never tasted cheese. But, you know, in publishing, as in movies, as in so many endeavors, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, so... So among these copycat titles were Whose Cheese Should I Move by Hui Jun. Also, Who Dares to Move My Cheese by Kang Yuning. The author Wee Yizao came up with I Don't Bother to Move Your Cheese. And uh, the author Dong Huang Fu published Make the Cheese by Yourself. Here's one I like. Chinese people eat cheese? Question mark? Who Took My Meat Bun? by Chuan Yang. And you know, that that had to be a good read. And of course, I guess management-type books are as popular in China as they are here. Fang Yuan wrote, Management Advice 52, From the Cheese. And what might be the most confusing among the knockoff books from Who Moved My Cheese was the one by Zhuang Feng. No one can move my cheese! Exclamation point. The new allegory of cheese, the new enlightenment of allegory. And frankly, I don't think that one can be topped. And also, from the reading section from Harper's and heading east from China across uh, the Yellow Sea, I guess, to Japan, we have the August 2003 program guide for the Japanese adult entertainment channel Paradise TV, which claims to have more than 100,000 su- subscribers. This list was obtained and translated from the Japanese by Ryan Connell. I'm not sure who's watching adult entertainment at 9 a.m., but somebody is apparently, and what they're watching was ghosts in saucy photos. Frankly, I'm not sure who the uh, the 10 a.m. entry is appealing to, which was huge release, sexual harassment heaven, embarrassed amateur girl put through erotic hell. But frankly, I don't like the sound of it. And I really don't like the sound of the 12.30 p.m. entry. Gather, everyone. How about gang raping me? I think I would have been tuned into how about not gang raping me? And there's the 8.25 p.m. entry. Strategies for sneaking in on women at midnight. I guess Japanese viewers need to get about three and a half hours of prep for that one. And for the record, Radio Parallax is officially against sneaking in on women at midnight. Or for that matter, any other hour. Alright, let's see if we can't do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for changing teams after Occupy Wall Street protester Tracy Postert was hired by a Wall Street firm. Apparently at the protest, she held up a sign saying, PhD, biomedical scientist seeking full-time employment. She was then called in for an interview by a brokerage firm and was hired as a junior analyst. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for Michelle Bachman after the fading GOP presidential candidate vowed to close down the U.S. embassy in Iran. The U.S. has not had an embassy in Tehran since the 1980 hostage crisis. You know, we think even Sarah Palin knew that. And it was an ugly week last week for anyone around Alec Baldwin, really after the famously hot-headed actor got kicked off an American Airlines flight for refusing to turn off his cell phone. The airline and witnesses say Baldwin became so infuriated that he locked himself in the bathroom, beat on the walls, and screamed so loudly that the pilot could hear him in the cockpit. ever notice that sometimes actors seem to be sort of prima donnas? And uh, it was probably a good week and, and a bad week, depending on how you want to look at it, for inflation after it was revealed last week that Medicare spent $240 million over the last decade on penis pumps for recipients over 65 suffering from erectile dysfunction. And as a physician, I would note that some people seem to be satisfied with penis pumps for treatment of erectile dysfunction. Take it from me, there are better methods. And one of these days we're going to have an educational segment on this show about that topic, but uh, not today. But uh, we do have three items from the Only in America file that I think are worthy of merit. I want to thank The Week magazine for having this section on a weekly basis. All right, item number one. A fugitive who took a Kansas couple hostage in their home is now suing them for $235,000. Accused murderer Jesse Dimick claims that Jared and Lindsey Rowley accepted his knife-point offer of money to hide in their house. But the Rowleys later breached their, quote, oral contract, unquote, by escaping as he slept. Dimick says this resulted in my being shot in the back by authorities. Aww. And yes, it's true. Other nations read about these legal proceedings in the U.S. and cackle ferociously. Because they know that, given the system we have here in this country, this guy might get a settlement. All right, Further speaking of our disgrace of a legal system, item two from the Only in America file. Fast food chain Chick fil A has ordered a Vermont silkscreen artist to stop printing t shirts with the slogan, Eat More Kale, alleging it's too similar to Chick fil A's slogan, Eat More Chicken. Artist Bo Mueller Moore a locavore, says he won't back down, and his lawyer says, I don't think anyone will step forward and say they bought an eat more kale shirt thinking it was a Chick-fil-a product. And you know, that that's one lawyer we agree with. Final item from the Only in America file. A suburban New York elementary school teacher now faces disciplinary action for telling her second grade class that there is no Santa Claus. Apparently, after her students identified the North Pole as, quote, "...where Santa lives," unquote, the teacher told them Santa was a fictional character. Notes the week, most experts are agreed that Santa is real and does live at the North Pole. And we agree on this program that there is some evidence for that. That kind of brings us back to that physicist quote, David Bohm, "...intelligence requires that you don't defend an assumption." All right, and speaking of some miraculous flying, and no, we're not referring to Santa's sleigh drawn by eight reindeer, but rather a video drone, you no doubt saw the story that Iran this week paraded what its military described as a captured CIA stealth drone on national television. It lodged an official diplomatic protest, portraying the visual images as an intelligence and propaganda windfall in its conflict with the West. Here's the part I like second best about this story. American officials viewing the video declined to confirm or deny that the aircraft shown was the one that they've said was lost several days ago by controllers in neighboring Afghanistan. The article notes that American officials did not assert that the aircraft was fake and independent experts offered mixed assessments. But the part I liked the best about this whole story, which is sort of being buried among, uh, among among these comments was that uh, the excellent condition of the aircraft indicates that it, had something of a soft landing. It wasn't shot down at all, implying that there's a good possibility that it ran out of gas. Of course, uh, the way it was written was, John Pike, director of globalsecurity.org, a consulting firm, said in response to a query from CNN about the video images, that the aircraft did not look the way he would expect it to look after a crash, fueling suspicion that the Iranians may have displayed a mock-up. And they note that the drone shown on Iranian television appeared to be in good condition, indeed which was inconsistent with an uncontrolled landing. For their part, the Iranians are claiming that a sophisticated electronic attack helped bring down the airplane, which caused American military experts to cast doubt on that, saying, uh, well, it'd be almost impossible for Iran to shoot down an an RQ-170 because it's stealthy. Therefore, the Iranian air defenses can't see it. Loren Thompson, an analyst for the Lexington Institute, told the newspaper, the Military Times, partly for the same reason, it's exceedingly unlikely they used a cyber attack to bring down the aircraft. So they didn't shoot it down, they didn't attack it with a cyber attack to bring it down, and it landed in pretty much one piece. Hmm. Think it ran out of gas? Any uh, experts out there on electronic drone surveillance, (laughs) feel free to drop us a line at info at Radio Parallax and let us know uh, what you can tell the public. And to any listeners in Iran, if you have any feedback for us on this one, well, also feel free to drop us a line. We'd be especially curious if you heard anything like the following. Mm-hmm. Anyway, before we close, we want to note the comment sent to us by Dwayne, who said, "Iran should should send us that drone back. Don't we always send their drones back when we shoot them down?" And speaking of shooting stuff down, the Mythbusters boys got themselves in trouble this week, but we're going to save that for after the break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's pause for some messages.